Good morning to you again. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. John 12, 27 through 36. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul uh, gave us this command, or we'd rightly say uh, God gave us this command through the Apostle Paul that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all. What we might think is the mundane or the significant, the extraordinary. We do it all for the glory of God. Not for the praise of man, uh, not for power or fame, not for self-preservation, but for the glory of God. Of course, obviously no one has exemplified this more than Jesus Christ. Jesus lived perfectly for the glory of God. He didn't take any shortcuts, did he? As a recap of last week from verses 12 through 26 in John 12, remember the triumphal entry. After the triumphal entry occurred, where Jesus rode in peacefully on that donkey at the front of that procession, the front of that parade in the place of the soon-to-be-executed king. The crowd, remember, was ready to throw uh, their king a party, to crown him their king, to enjoy all of these earthly benefits that they looked forward to. And Jesus declared to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Woo! But what did that glory look like? Was it reigning in the temple? Uh, was it conquering the Roman soldiers? Was it making Israel the envy of every other nation? And the answer to all that is no. None of those things. Jesus' impending glory looked like a cross. Dying. Uh, the sacrificial lamb taking the wrath of God against your sin and mine. And in verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And in saying this, Jesus has called us Christians to die to ourselves with him, to follow him in his death, that we might live with him and for him, for the glory of God. So now, uh, now that this hour has come, now that it was time for Jesus to be lifted up on the cross, Jesus continues to speak to this crowd in verse 27. So this, where we enter into the passage today is a continuation of this, of this uh, conversation that Christ is having. Verse 27, now, in this hour, is my soul troubled. And this word for troubled means to be acutely, greatly distressed. This is not a slight discomfort. This is like terror. And the tense of the verb gives the idea that it was an ongoing troubling. Uh, Jesus didn't all of a sudden start feeling troubled at this moment. He knew that he, he knew what he had come to do. And the thought of it shook him up. It terrified him. And then Jesus continued in verse 27. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Uh, should my troubling cause me to avoid what I've come to do? Should the fact that this is going to be hard make me stop? The answer, of course, is no. No. This is why I came, Christ says. This is why he took on flesh. Christ's hour has come, the hour of his crucifixion, his death, and then his resurrection and ascension. Jesus has come for this purpose. He did not come to add to the teaching of the world's gurus to give us a better life. 
He didn't come uh, to kickstart a social movement. Jesus Christ came to die. He came to die. Jesus' teaching in itself, just his teaching itself, that didn't conquer sin. It pointed people to what would conquer sin, but his teaching in itself didn't conquer sin. Jesus' healings didn't conquer sin. Uh, The raising of Lazarus from the dead did not conquer sin. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to cheers of Hosanna did not conquer sin. Uh, If anything, after everything Jesus has said and done so far, the need for something else to be done about sin has become more and more apparent to us as we've read through this gospel. So, if the teaching isn't enough, if the miracles aren't the answer, what is it that Jesus needed to do to take away sin? And we know this. Jesus had to die. Jesus came to die for your sin. He came to die for my sin. He came for this purpose. Mark ten forty five says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And we say, well, how would he serve? It says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hebrews two fourteen and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death. So why did he take on flesh? So it would die. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to die to free us from our bondage to sin and death. 1 John 3, 5 says this, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So Christ, the sinless Son of God, took on flesh in order to die in our place to pay the penalty, God's just wrath, for our sin. And that right there. This is why he was greatly troubled in his heart. Think about this. It wasn't the fact that people didn't like him. It wasn't the fact uh, that people did not believe in what he was saying. It wasn't the cat of nine tails whip that tore the flesh off his back and sides. It wasn't the beating he received. It wasn't the spit that flew in his face. It wasn't the pain of the nails going through his wrists and his feet. It wasn't even the pain as he physically pushed up and pulled himself up, just up and down on the cross just to get the next breath. It wasn't any of those things. It was the wrath of God. Separation from the Father. Because our sin was going to be placed on him. The full judgment that brought us peace. Christ knew what was coming. Realize, we probably don't know what that was like, do we? We often tend to think too highly of ourselves. Christ knew what was coming. And what he was going to do in our place. The full wrath of God that was coming. And quite understandably, he was deeply, terribly troubled. Now, in contrast to the idea of asking uh, the Father for a way out of this hour, as he suggested in verse 27, instead of saying, Father, save me from this hour, Jesus says this in verse 28. This is the contrast. Father, glorify your name. Uh, These words might remind us of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 28. 
or 26, uh, Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, moments before he was betrayed, he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And then Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, prayed to God the Father. He said, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of God's wrath for our sin, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then in his second prayer, Jesus said, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, if your just wrath cannot be kept from my sheep, if it cannot be kept from my sheep, from the children of God, if I don't drink it for them, then your will be done. He said, Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. Father, glorify your name. What Jesus is about to do, uh, what Jesus is about to go through, it's going to bring glory to God. Instead of Jesus saying, Father, save me from what's about to happen, he's saying, Father, use me for your glory. Use me to glorify your name. Uh, The rest of verse 28, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I can't speak in like make it sound like God, right? Who, whatever that would sound like. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Let's be good detectives here for a second, okay? If this voice answered Jesus' request to the Father to glorify his name, and the voice says, I have and I will, whose voice do you think it should be? If you think God the Father, you're right. That's correct. And if the Apostle John was able to write down what the Father audibly spoke to Jesus in the presence of all these people, what were the people there able to hear? If John's able to know what it was and is able to write it down, they all heard what God the Father said. They heard it. So the people heard the voice saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And they all must have been shocked to have heard the voice of God and they were all so impressed that they repented and followed Jesus and believed, right? The answer is no. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it, so they definitely heard it, they said that it had thundered. So I guess if I wanted to try to sound like God there, I should have made a thundery voice, whatever that would sound like. They said it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. We think, thunder? Really? Thunder? The fact that others said it was an angel just proves that the words the Father spoke were audible and discernible. So, thunder? But please understand this. The people were probably right to be in shock. Would you not be in shock in that moment? Uh, Because God doesn't audibly speak to people on a regular basis that way. We don't see this happening regularly anywhere in Scripture. Did he speak to people? Yes, at times he did. Regularly? No. This was incredibly rare and strange, but they did hear it. And they had a choice to make. What are we going to do with what we just heard? Are we going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and and who that voice says he is? Or are we going to associate what just happened with the closest thing that we would normally experience so we can rule that out? Let's go with thunder. And then... Uh, to think it was an angel. If it's an angel, that's certainly interesting because that affirms that what just happened was supernatural and audible and discernible. 
But they would not allow the statement to be attributed to the Lord. They are affirming, yes, we heard the voice. Yes, we heard what it said. No, there's no way that was God. And if that voice was not God, then that message was false. And if the message was false, if it was a lie, if it was a deception, then now we're going back to the idea that Jesus is doing these miracles by the power of Satan. Like the Pharisees accused Jesus of in Matthew 12. And I don't think these people were directly, purposefully accusing Jesus of demonic activity in this instance. I think they were just unbelievers trying to throw anything they could at this, trying to make sense of this moment as quickly as they could. So let's cut them a little slack there. But my point is, if this was an angel speaking and not God, then the only logical conclusion is that it was a deception. And God does not deceive. God does not lie nor do his angels. Now, after hearing these people try to question the legitimacy of what they just heard, verse 30 says this, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. God spoke audibly here, not so that Jesus would be encouraged in his faith. Uh, The Son of God was doing just fine believing. But God did this, and it's recorded in Scripture so that people would believe, so that you would believe. Remember, John shares the purpose of his gospel, the gospel of John in chapter 20. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's there for us. In verses 31 and 32, we're going to see uh, what Jesus is about to accomplish. Now that his hour has come, And there are three things that are going to uh, bring glory to God in these two verses. So this is going to be where we spend a chunk of time here, okay? Here are these three things, verses 31 and 32. Now is, number one, the judgment of this world. Now will, number two, the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, number three, will draw all people to myself. And the Apostle John explains exactly what Jesus meant when he said, I'm lifted up from the earth. When I'm lifted up from the earth, in verse 33, he says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So we know when Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, what was he talking about? The crucifixion. That's what it is. So at the cross, when Jesus was lifted up in his crucifixion, he accomplished these three things. Number one, judgment the judgment of this world. Number two, the casting out of Satan. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And number three, drawing people to himself. I will draw all people to myself. And of course, we have to start asking questions now, okay? Number one, how was the world judged at the cross? Isn't there a judgment at the end? In, in the end times? Is that like a double judgment or something? What about number two? Isn't Satan still active and fighting against God's kingdom? Isn't the Antichrist still to come? How was Satan cast out if he's still active today? Number three, if Jesus is drawing all people to himself, then why are so many people rejecting him? 
Is he talking about every single soul? Is he talking about people from around the world? Uh, What does he mean exactly? So let's answer these questions. Okay, number one, judgment. How was Christ going to glorify God at the cross through judgment? And first, we have to ask this, who deserves judgment? Who deserves it? Uh, Romans 2.12 For all who have sinned without the law and all who have sinned under the law, that's everybody, will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And, And then we might say, phew, the doers will escape judgment. But wait. Because the next chapter, Romans 3, verse 12, says, No one does good, not even one. So who deserves judgment? All of us. Everyone. All sinners, and everyone is a sinner. Everyone deserves judgment. And the next question, when will judgment come? We all deserve it. When is it going to come? And Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, that an hour was coming in the end, the final judgment, when all who are in the tombs will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Uh, But then Jesus said this up in verse 24 of chapter 5, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Who passes from death to life? Who will be raised to life and not to judgment? Jesus said, those who believe. Those who have put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because God's wrath against our sin was poured out on Christ, where? At the cross. At the cross. The judgment of God against the sin of the world began at the cross for our sake. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there is no double judgment. There is no double judgment. Every person's sins will be judged in full one time or another. All those who reject him All those who reject Christ, who refuse to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, their judgment will come at the last day, at the resurrection. But all those in Christ, our sins were judged at the cross. It's finished. It's finished. There is no judgment left for us. So when you hear of the future judgment, guess what, Christian? That's not you. When you see the judgment of God on Christ at the cross, that was yours. And it's finished. There is no judgment left for us. Glory to God. That's the judgment. Number two, Satan. How was Jesus going to glorify God by casting out Satan at the cross? That's the question. Uh, In what way was Satan cast out through Jesus' death? And we certainly know that uh, the evil, or the devil, that didn't cease to exist or operate. We know the devil still is functioning, is operating. Ephesians 6 calls on us to stand against the schemes of the devil. James 4 tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. 
But we also know that Christ defeated Satan at the cross. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 again, it says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So we know that happened. So how did Jesus defeat Satan? Well, we know uh, that Satan wanted to accomplish at least two things. We're going to see how Jesus defeated Satan in these two ways. Uh, One... He wants to accuse you. He wants to prosecute you before the judge. God the Father. Satan, remember, is the great accuser. And honestly, do we give him plenty of material to work with? (laughs) No one does good, not even one. So we know that that Satan wants to do that. He wants to accuse us. And then he also wants to do this. Number two, he wanted to prevent Jesus from getting to the cross. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, uh, his final temptation was this. Jesus, if you bow down to me, if you will worship me, if you make me your master, I will give you power over the kingdoms of the world. You remember that? In short, I can make you king without the cross. You don't have to die. I can offer you a shortcut. But Jesus didn't take that shortcut. Praise God. And no matter what Satan threw at him at his temptation, no matter how bad the road to the cross was, Satan failed to prevent Jesus from accomplishing God's will. No matter how terrible the betrayal, no matter how terrible the beating, no matter how terrible the mockery, no matter how terrible the process of the crucifixion, Jesus never threw in the towel. He went all the way. And any claim Satan may have had on your life was stripped from his hands at the cross. Revelation 12, 10 and 11 say this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, that's Satan, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Who would be our main adversary who would want to condemn? It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Not guilty. Satan wants you dead. Satan wants you destroyed. Satan wants you judged eternally for your sin. And when Christ died on the cross, in your place, Satan lost the war. Glory to God. Number three, this drawing. The drawing. Christ said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When we ask what this means, we have to know that it cannot mean that God will save all people. That everyone will be saved. We we just read these other passages about the judgment. And there are going to be people who reject Christ and face judgment of God uh, for their sin. And so Jesus is not drawing all people all over the world, every single soul, effectively to salvation. It can't mean that. So then, it has to mean one of two things. 
And if you think one or the other, we can still be friends, okay? But it has to be one or two things. One, that the call to be saved goes to all people everywhere through the cross. Sort of like Acts 17.30, of the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, like that. Or two, that in his death, Jesus confirmed, guaranteed the ingathering of all his people, drawing them to himself. And here are some things to think about along these lines from Jesus' teaching through the Gospel of John. John six forty four, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, so no one comes unless they're drawn, and everyone who is drawn is raised up, which means they came. They believed as a result of the drawing. John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I laid down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's the Gentiles. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And then listen to these words, uh, uses of the word all. John six thirty seven. Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. This is when Jesus was praying for you, church. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Finally, one further interesting note from this verse in John 12. The word people in the phrase, will draw all people to myself, that word people is actually not in the Greek text. And that's not to say that it's a bad translation or anything, uh, but a literal word-by-word translation of the Greek would be, I will draw all to myself. That's what it would say literally from the Greek. So it makes sense that you could supply people there. Okay, all, uh, That all grammatically can mean all, like that first option. All people are drawn. And it can also mean something else. And Jesus is not going to contradict himself. Uh, so I think it's better to allow all uh, his other teachings to help us rightly interpret this one. Either way, everyone could still agree that Jesus' death guaranteed the salvation of all the sheep. All the children of God. And Christian, from all of these scriptures, I'm convinced that your drawing, your salvation, your resurrection to life was guaranteed when Jesus was lifted up from the earth on the cross. As soon as he said, it is finished, you were purchased. Paid in full. So we say, glory to God. So, Christian, through the cross of Christ, there is no judgment left for us. Satan has lost the war, and your salvation was guaranteed. Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. And the Father responded, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And he certainly did. God was glorified through the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, But remember... This crowd is not so happy 
with this God-glorifying plan. They don't like this idea. And so the crowd answered him, uh, we have heard from the law, meaning the Old Testament, we've heard from the, from the scriptures uh, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Or in other words, what kind of Messiah do you think you are? And they knew what he meant by being lifted up, that it was the cross, because they knew that meant he was going to die. Now the crowd may have been referring here to Psalm 89, 35-37, where it says, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? <laughs> the Son of Man is going to live forever. Um, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, Psalm 89 says. It's a faithful witness in the skies. This psalm was believed to be and is messianic in nature, referring to the eternal reign of the King of Kings, the Christ. So the crowd is rightly asserting the Messiah is supposed to reign forever, uh, to which we agree and say, Amen. The Messiah will reign forever. But then they mistakenly ask, how could the Messiah who will reign forever, die. How can that be? And this is a terribly sad mistake on their part because the Old Testament also has much to say about the death of the Son of Man, the death of the Messiah. For example, you ready? Here's the Old Testament saying this. Daniel 9, 25 and 26 speaks of the day when the Messiah would be cut off. Zechariah twelve ten prophesies of a future day when Israel would look on their Messiah, whom they had pierced with mourning. Isaiah fifty two thirteen to fifty three twelve. That was our Good Friday service, by the way. It tells us of the one who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that the Messiah would render himself as a guilt offering, meaning that Christ would die as a substitutionary atonement, a sacrifice for our sin. Psalm forty one nine prophesied the Lord's betrayal, and Zechariah eleven, twelve and thirteen gave the exact amount that Judas would receive for his betrayal, thirty pieces of silver. Isaiah 50, verse 6, gives details of Jesus' physical beating and abuse before his crucifixion. Psalm 22 starts out with the question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then proceeds to explain the process of crucifixion when they had not even seen it yet, including the mockery that Jesus received while he hung on the cross. And Jesus said all this would happen as the prophets foretold. He says in Luke 18, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets in the Old Testament will be accomplished. So we could say these Jews uh, should have, could have known that the Messiah first had to die, uh, but they weren't looking for that part of the plan. They weren't as concerned with their sin problem as much as they were uh, with their present quality of life. So, verse 35, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Uh, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus warns these people. And this warning is true and needed for all people, even still today. We don't have unlimited time to hear this truth. 
to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe. There will be a time when you are no longer able to repent. So if you're here today, you're hearing about the death of Christ on the cross for your sin, and you understand that you must repent and become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, please believe today. When there is no light, people are just going to walk around in the darkness. And Romans 3 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. But now, even right now, like today, here, the light of Jesus Christ is being presented to you. This said this, By the grace of God, I am Christians. You are a son or daughter of the light. And so you are seeing in this passage the light of Jesus Christ is being shown. Believe in the light. Become a child of God. Become a son. Become a daughter of light. Which means, Christians, by the way, you will also become a proclaimer of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will shine light. When you're a son of the light, you can't not shine the light that is in you. It just beams out of you in your actions and in your words as you follow Christ. And then verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed. Seems strange. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And we might have hoped that after sharing this evangelistic invitation, the crowd believed in the light who had come, but they didn't. And he departed. Verse 37 tells us that. Uh, they still did not believe in him. But if you have believed, what have you become? you become a son, a daughter of light. You've become a follower of Jesus. So, just like Christ, Christians, we don't live for the praise of man. We don't live for power or fame, uh, not for self-preservation, but for the glory of God. This took Christ to the cross. That's what it meant for Christ to live for the glory of God. It took him to the cross to die for the glory of God. And it will call for us to die daily as, as we pursue Christ, as we follow him. Uh, it calls us to do what the world might call weakness, doesn't it? But church, his grace is sufficient for you. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Did Christ accomplish much at the cross? <laughs> when the Jews said, how are you the son of man if you're going to die on a cross? Did Christ accomplish much in the cross? Was God the Father glorified? He absolutely was. Christ accomplished much. And when we are weak, then we are strong. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, as Christ said... We pray that you would be glorified in us. Father, glorify your name in us. We thank you for the work that was done, for all that was accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ, 
through his death for our sin. We thank you, Lord, that all judgment that we deserve was poured out on him, that there is no wrath left for us to face. God, we thank you that any ability that Satan would have to bring accusation against us before your throne has been absolved, that we have been declared not guilty, and that Satan has been cast away, that he is no longer able to do this and no longer able to have this against us. And God, we thank you for the power of the cross in our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us, that we have heard the truth of the gospel. We thank you that we have believed, that we have life eternal in him, in Christ. And God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, glorify yourself in us, that we would shine as lights, that we would uh, happily, joyfully live in such a way and speak in such a way that points our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our family to the truth of the gospel. Lord, use us as lights for your glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.